The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station or Webster Rock Hill Ministries, its management or other hosts or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented by KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only. Hey, Webster Bros, this is Arnold Stricker with Intune and with Ellie Wharton. Where you're listening to Intune, a two hour weekly broadcast which focuses and reflects on issues that impact and connects our community in the greater St. Louis area. Our topics include the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, history, housing, humor, and justice. And in studio today, we have a, a superhero. We do. And, and she's she, kind of a tiny superhero, she, but not she, tiny, tiny. But she's also the founder of Tiny Superheroes, Robin Rosenberger. Robin, welcome to In Tune today. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, first of all, I'm sure some of our listeners, are they may be familiar with Tiny Superheroes, but just give a little synopsis and then we're going to take it apart yeah. later on here in the interview. So I call Tiny Superheroes a tiny cape company with a super big mission. And our mission is to empower kids who are overcoming illness or disability. And we do that through capes and a community, which we call our Tiny Superheroes Squad. And how did you go about doing this? Because your background's not in sewing. Uh, You have a a degree in liberal arts, uh, liberal studies from uh, University of Missouri-St. Louis. Uh, But you've kind of received a little notoriety in the uh, local and state and national and frankly probably international world for what you're doing with with this particular uh, passion of yours. You know, I really firmly believe that this journey that I'm on with Tiny Superheroes is much, much bigger than me and it kind of happened accidentally and I was open to it and so I kind of found myself in the driver's seat, but it's definitely something I feel like that I'm following its lead. Um, but we, I'm from here, but was living in Seattle when it started. And I, my husband's still trying to decide if the sewing machine he bought me was the best or worst gift he ever bought me. <laughs> um, but I had never used it. And my nephew was having a birthday and I was like, I'm gonna, this is, I have three kids now. This would have never happened, but I had one kid at the time, so I was like, I'm going to make him a cool present. So I had time, apparently, and so I made him a superhero cape on my sewing machine. That was maybe the second time I had pulled it out. I literally, I don't know if anyone's sewing out there, I was sewing sticky Velcro to fleece, which is not a good idea, so the needle broke in that first cape, nearly poked my eye out, (laughs) and so that's like why I started making capes, and then it was super cute, so I made one for our dog, and for my son, and for his friends, and that was kind of when everything fell into place. I was introduced to the blog of a woman named Courtney, who lives in Illinois, and had a daughter the same age as my son, who was expected to arrive healthy and arrived with a very, very severe skin disorder that nearly took her life. And I became engaged in her story. And really, as a new mom, myself was in awe at the way they were handling a huge challenge with joy and gratitude. And I was really just moved by their story. And Brenna um, was the girl and she looks very different than normal. Her skin is very red. And Really, I just wanted them to know that an outsider could see that what was going on was extraordinary. And so I sent her a cape. And that was kind of the start of a totally new life for me. Now, what was uh, 
what was her parents' response to the cape and then having her wear the cape around the response that other people, uh, their interaction with her? Yeah, so with this first one, I still had no idea what I was doing, you know? So I sent her cape and I sent one for her sidekick brother, Connor. And I think the first thing that really touched me was the picture they sent. And it was like just this beautiful image of this sweet little one-year-old girl who is obviously overcoming ginormous obstacles with a cape on. And, um, you know, I wouldn't say that we had over abundance of conversations about it or anything but it touched me enough to want to do it again so I I remember I was working at a software company at the time so I was spending a lot of time on the computer and I found 10 other blogs from parents of kids all over the country just with no rhyme or reason really they all had very different diagnoses and um, and I just emailed them all and said could I send you a cape and everyone said yes everyone actually since then has said yes. But um, so I sent those capes and honestly, it was just like this snowball effect. It's funny how things happen. One of those first 10 kids who I randomly found on the internet had a family friend who wrote for today.com who saw his cape and loved it and reached out to me. And that was kind of the thing that launched what happened you know so they wrote an article on today.com pretty much before i had any idea what was about to happen wow and what did happen a lot a lot happened so um that was kind of where i feel like it became clear that this wasn't my journey i mean this it's my journey but like this wasn't my vehicle i was just like driving it so people started reaching out immediately wanting capes and i all I knew at the time was that I didn't want them to pay for it, you know, and um, I really wasn't ready to like, I really wasn't looking to like build a nonprofit. So I was like, how am I going to do this? And we, it just was like one decision at a time. So you build a website and then you, you're like, okay, well you can have it for free and then someone needs to sponsor it, you know, so you find sponsors and then people are sending you pictures. So you post pictures and then you're like, these stories are amazing. So you share the stories and Really, um, so in that first year, this was in 2013, it was really crazy. We were, it was on the Today Show, ABC World News with Diane Sawyer. It was like in Germany. It was just like on, It. I learned a lot about the press very quickly and how one story just goes everywhere and then it's over. And um, it was such a blessing and also like probably one of the most stressful things so I was making these from my kitchen table right and the day it was on the today show we had 400 orders that day oh my gosh I was a little concerned about how this was going to play out so how'd you how'd you handle that you know I think I blocked that day out of my memory (laughs) (laughs) the only part of that day I remember was like sitting at Panera an hour after the show just like viciously replying to emails to try to like get ahead of it um but I I think that might have been when I started needing help sewing the capes. <laughs> and so did you solicit then uh, people who sew all the time or other volunteers to help you out? Or how did you do that? So in the beginning, it was like very grassroots. It was my friends, my nanny, my kid's nanny. We were just sewing late at night. And none of us were professional seamstresses. And um, 
it was like I kind of didn't have the bandwidth to really like find an organized way to handle this. But later into it, and this was a little while later, I did find a family in Seattle who owned a sewing company. And after about a thousand capes, they took over. Wow. A thousand capes. And how many capes now have been sent out? Do you know? Yeah. So we're, we're well <laughs> over 15,000 capes. 15,000 capes. That's like a thousand capes of light. <laughs> Flapping in the wind. Flapping in the wind. You know, when I look at the pictures and I see Empower an Extraordinary Child, uh, a tiny cape company with a super big mission, and I see the pictures on the website of the faces, I don't see uh, the, the kids that have some issues with a disability. I see their faces. And your, one of your dreams, I'm going to read this, my dream for tiny superheroes is to retrain how the world views illness and disability. I want to teach people to see what makes us each extraordinary rather than what makes us different. I want to empower children to embrace their own differences so that they are capable of understanding others. You know, and that's what we talk about a lot is empowering um, because it's very, you know, we've kind of gone through a phase in our culture that, that was enabling. You know, we all wanted to help and we had to do these things because other people can't help themselves. And now we've learned that that is not the way. That does not build a strong society. We have to learn to empower those people that others might look at, look at as being different. Because if you think about it, we are all different. You know, I mean, it's well known that you um, wear hearing aids. Right. You know, um, I wear glasses. You know, <laughs> it's something, you know, and so people could look at us and go, oh, well, you know, Arnold's hard of hearing, so that makes him different. Push him off to the side. You know, instead, no, we give you a radio show. <laughs> yeah. What'd you say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I'm bald. Yeah. I, I'm balding. I, I'm, I'm follically challenged. And that's right, follically challenged. And that's why the headset fits better. <laughs> I don't have to worry about it messing my hair up. That's I right. can just get up in the morning and go. There it is. No, we're listening you know. to uh, Robin Rosenberger. So if you have a question for Robin, uh, you can text us at 314-736-4510. And this is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton on Intune. So Robin, so your background's liberal studies. You work for a software company. You know, you get this... Uh, following this blog you kind of have this thing built within you i think because of kind of the mom identifying with somebody else going through something you reach out to them you extend a gift to them it kind of uh, catches wildfire uh, you now have a group that makes the capes what other so you had to form a non-profit so we're this? actually no we're actually a social enterprise a social enterprise yeah. explain that one for folks so it is confusing so we are technically organized as an llc mm -hmm. and we are just like a company with a purpose so basically you can make a company and do or sell whatever you want and it's my dream to help people see that you can have for-profit companies that make a huge impact in the world you know and ellie we talked about this before we went on the air and robin was uh listening to this also when she, when she walked in, that, that the, the thing about many times being self-sufficient and self-determined to provide and to do things rather than rely on others, sometimes you have to rely on others. You know, when, when kids are born or the elderly, uh, they need to be kind of uh, dependent upon other people. But so many times I think we're, ask, we're looking and we've kind of trained our society to look 
towards others rather than to look inward and to reach down inside and do something. And Robin, and she's not the only one. We talked about Bridge Bread. That's right. We've talked about other uh, social organizations right. that have risen up because people have seen a need and they've decided to do something That's about right. it. That's right. Laughing Bear ba- Bakery. Um, Every Child's Hope. I mean, we bring them on this radio station all the time. You know, um, we have one of our own guys, Kevin, you know, who works for Great Circle. You know, again, school to help, you know, challenged children to be able to eventually be mainstreamed. You know, and that's the idea is that as a culture, once we stop looking at differences and see the strengths within, then we're going to be better able to utilize all people because there's a lot of people that can be used. And you and I were just talking about that. Um, you know, just because they're poor people doesn't mean that they can't sit down and make phone calls or that they're not able to write a letter, you know, or to participate in some kind of way. But because we, we went through that phase in our culture of um, that toxic charity phase, you know, where I gotta help, I gotta do, you know, to so sit down, don't do anything, let me do for you. We can no longer be that way. We have to learn how to look at everyone's strength and utilize it. And you're really building kids' self-esteem because if you have a disability, especially a physical disability, that it's very evident to people. And, you know, kids get looks, you know, mainly from adults, not from other kids because Mm -hmm. they go to school with them. Um, Tell us a couple stories that uh, really have touched your heart and the heart of your family that uh, have dealt with tiny superheroes. So in the beginning with like Brenna's Cape, really in my mind, it was a gift. And it was like, the goal was to just know that they were recognized, make them feel good. I really did not see anything beyond that in the beginning. Um, But quickly, I did. So quickly, I noticed that these kids were using their capes all the time. So they were going to therapy in their cape and they were going to surgery in their cape. And like in the world of social media, if you're like trying to build something, it's like, oh, please send me a picture. It's like hard. I was getting like so many pictures. And I I just never thought that the cape would be something like that. And um, then I I would say there was a moment early on that changed the whole, there's been a few moments that like I'll never forget that changed everything. And the first one was very early on, um, I received an email. It was a dad whose son had received a cape and I didn't know them. And he just wanted to reach out to let me know that his son passed away Mm. and the cape meant so much to him that they buried him in his cape. Mm, And that was a moment for me. I hadn't thought that far along. I didn't know that I would be facing things like that, and I certainly didn't know that that was the impact we could have. And that was the moment where I decided, that was the moment where I became the most fearless in my life because it was like I'd never had something where there was no obstacle big enough to stop it. So like genuinely, generally for me, like money becomes the obstacle, right? I think we're kind of trained that way. And I thought that day, I was like, money cannot stop something like that, right? So um, that was the day I became determined. But then what happened over time with more capes and more kids and more stories is like these capes were transforming the way the kids saw themselves. And that was so amazing to me because it was like, if you're not confident about who you are, certainly others aren't going to be confident about who you are either. And these kids, a lot of them, this is going to be a lifetime journey, you know? So it's like, okay, so we need 
them to feel confident and secure and happy with who they are right now so that when they're 20, they feel confident and secure. And then what happened was my kids started growing up. So Rory is my oldest. So he was one when I sent the first cape. And it was about when he was getting ready for kindergarten that I started noticing that my friends, who all had kids the same age, had no exposure to kids who were different. So, you know, the people I was hanging around with, none of them had special needs kids themselves. And whether they were staying home or going to daycare, these kids had no interaction with kids that were different. Whereas my son, only because of circumstances, did because it was my job. Right. And I started doing like a little research and I found that by age three, kids are as prejudiced as their parents. And you mentioned it's not the kids that are staring, it's the adults. And that statistic really terrified me because now I had thousands of kids who I was invested in who maybe were already in school or were going to school. And then I knew all these typical developing kids who were going to school who were way past the age of three. And I was like, this is why they get bullied, you know, because my kind of visual is like, if I, me, like if I was in the grocery store with my kids and we're going down the cereal aisle and there's someone in the aisle who is very different than us and I might be, we're worried about offend, like I think it comes from a kind place. We're worried about offending people. So I'm walking down the aisle and I'm worried that my kids might say something bad. So instead of doing it, we turn around and we go, we'll come back. So we, in that moment, teach my kids who aren't even talking yet to avoid it, you know, or shush them, you know. And so what do we think they're going to do when they go to school? You know, they're going to avoid them or they're going to shush them because we silently taught them to do that. And so that was when I became invested even more in these kids that the Cape was the start, but this is like a journey and we need to, we are impacting them, but as a squad, we need to teach everybody. The tiny superhero squad. That's right. The squad. I can see them now marching down Lockwood. In the July 4th (laughs) parade. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And don't forget, we've got the parade tomorrow, the Rock Hill Parade, too. Rock Hill Parade's tomorrow. You know, that's right. And that's a really good place. I mean, that would have such an impact, you know, to have all of the little tiny superheroes in their capes (laughs) coming down the street. Those are some excellent points uh, that I kind of want to really dissect a little bit more because I think you've, you've hit some nerves that are key. One is how kids are trained uh, intentionally and yes, unintentionally. And unintentionally. And then the result of that, which takes place in other situations, i.e. school, it could be church, it could be out on the street, it could yes. be at, at, at a store or something like that. And, and Robin made a good point in that, you know, it's the parents, the parents tend to teach the children because the parents are the ones that, that will gawk and say something when they get back home and that child then begins to feel that that is okay and then when the child goes to school or to to daycare and says the exact same thing that their parent just said they get in trouble absolutely or vice versa the parent doesn't say anything Anything. and so we learn not to say anything or as you're walking down the aisle and the child is close to that person they move the child to the other side so the parent is in between what is that unspoken 
uh, right. message there. And you know, when you look at this this country, we develop, and I have to bring it back from a racial thing because that was what happened to us when we were coming up. You know, as soon as we were integrated and we would go in a store, you we visually saw parents take their kids and grab them and put them on the other side. Right. You know, like we were going to do something to them. <laughs> and so you grow up with that, and then that becomes that that implicit bias that you have, and you don't even know where it has come from. For for the person who may have bias towards someone else, but the person who the bias is directed towards creates a, my words, a little inferiority That's complex, right. or exactly. I'm not good enough kind of kind of thing. And the next thing you know, that you notice them stepping aside or turning yep. their own body away yep. because they feel that somebody else is going to be offended. Um, man, we've got a lot of work to do, Robin. We do, we do. Well, we're glad you're here working with us, aren't we? Yes, this is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton of Intune. You're listening to KWRHLP 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Grove. Stay tuned. Welcome back to In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton. Here in studio, we have Robin Rosenberger from Tiny Superheroes, and she's the founder of that. And we were talking a little bit off air about breaking the ice with kids uh, and breaking the ice with other families who struggle uh, with understanding uh, children with disabilities or who are just a little different. Maybe they don't have a disability. Maybe they look a little different. And how many times uh, you quoted a statistic that when kids get to be age three, they've already established some of their focus on how they're going to deal with people. And those things are obviously learned. They're not uh, inherited per se. So tell us a little bit about a story uh, or a response that you you uh, were mentioning off air. Yeah, there's two that immediately pop into my head. And this one I just love so much. There's this little uh, girl named Super Laney. They actually just moved out of the area for a job. And so she's starting kindergarten at a new school in a new community and nobody knows her. And um, Laney has epilepsy so she has many 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 seizures all the time and um if you just looked at her you probably wouldn't know that but so she has a IEP at school and so they were at their new school talking to the secretary and trying to figure out like what the year was going to look like and the secretary was like so like can you tell me a little about like the secretary was trying to kindly ask what's wrong with Lainey right? Like, help me know what's wrong with Lainey. And the secretary didn't know how to ask the mom. And Lainey was hearing this and Lainey stepped in and she goes, I think you're asking about my superpowers. And (laughs) good for her. And I have epilepsy, which means I have seizures. And it was like, beautiful, because it was, it's not something that we need to walk around or avoid. It was like, if we could just talk about it, then that will eliminate most of what's going on. But why don't we talk about it, Robin? Yeah, you know, I wish I knew more, but I think we are so, as adults, you know, in my, in my, when I look into like my own bias, it's the fear of offending somebody keeps me from doing anything, right? So kind of like the secretary, I'm sure she just didn't want to offend the family. So she was trying to fumble around to find a way to say the obvious. And I know I do that. And then I think there's another side where it's probably 
not so well-intentioned that we do it too. And kids don't have that problem, you know, until we teach them that problem. So we were talking about how the gap is so small and for kids, it's so easy to bridge it. Mm -hmm. And after years and years and years of not bridging it, it just becomes wider and wider and wider. So for adults, we have a really hard time. But for kids, it takes that one second, you know, like um, when we were my we were with my Rory, my six year old, we were visiting a tiny superhero one time and the tiny superheroes fingers are very different than normal. And he was like, what's wrong with her fingers? And I was like, I mean, it's just how she was made. He's like, oh, it's like why she's different. And like, I'm different than her. And I was like, yeah, I mean, and it's like that those fingers will never be a problem for that friendship you know, but, and I'm not saying I know how to handle it perfectly every time because I definitely don't, but there are a hundred other ways to handle that situation where those fingers would be a problem, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, We have a tiny superhero locally who is just amazing. His name is Riker and Riker is three years old. His birthday was actually last week, this week. And when Riker was born, his legs are very different. His feet were very different. He would never be able to walk on them. He was actually missing the tibia bone in mm. both of his legs. And his parents made a huge decision at when he was one um, to give him a chance to walk. And they amputated his legs and put him in prosthetic legs. And um, they told him that they told his parents it would take him probably 12 months to learn how to walk. He was walking within 24 hours. So a 12-month-old was walking in two prosthetic legs. He, um, This kid knows no boundaries. Like he, his different legs are such a normal part of their family. I actually met them at McDonald's one time and he has three older siblings and they were crawling up in the space and Riker was crawling up and the legs were making it harder. And the brother was like, mom, we're taking off Riker's legs. And they like, and she's like, bring them down. They cost $30,000, you know? (laughs) And it was like, and then Riker continued on without his legs on. And it, it, so, but the story that I love the most about Riker, they were out to eat at a restaurant and an adult was coming down with one prosthetic leg and Riker with no regard for anything ran over and he's like, your legs are just like mine. And it was like, yeah, they are. It's amazing, you know? And the positive perspective on something that for some reason we think is negative, like if we can just shift our perspective a little bit, it goes so far. It goes, it's a huge thing because, you know, when you look at, the the kinds of things that happen to kids and the diverse kinds of things you wonder who's i'm going to use these words not in a bad way but who's normal and who's not normal who's abnormal maybe maybe all of us who kind of get around are the abnormal ones because the what we would consider kids who have some other kinds of quote unquote disabilities they're the ones that are actually able to deal with those things and overcome them yes and utilize other parts of their body to um to to fill in for what they may be lacking in in a different part of their body i've seen pictures i remember this one video i saw of a lady in in one of the countries in africa and this woman had no legs beyond the knees but again, every day, this woman still has to make the journey like all the rest of her, the, her fellow villagers to the spot to get water. 
Okay. So imagine if you don't go, you don't get water. And she does this every day. And on no legs, this woman travels miles to get, now imagine the, the kind of road she's on, okay, with no legs for miles. And she, they were showing a picture of her. She was just going right along with all the other women who were going to do the exact same thing. Nobody was helping her because she's self-sufficient. She got there. Now imagine she took these buckets of water and hoisted them up onto her head. And then they proceeded back home miles. And I thought, now, wait a second, what's wrong with me? <laughs> well, and you look, you know, I can't even, if I had to go from the kitchen to my bedroom with the, with a cup of water on my head, <laughs> I better have the mop right there with me. Right. <laughs> but she learned, she adapted. And the other women in the village, no one was feeling pity for her. Sorry for her. You know what? She's here with the rest of us. She can do it. Let her do it. They didn't enable her. That's right. You know, and I think back into the deaf community and having some uh, contacts with the deaf community is that way back when they were thought to be stupid. Yes. And, you know, put in a home. Put in a home. Exactly. Because they can't speak. They can't hear. So there's something wrong with them. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It had nothing to do with being able to cope. It has all to do with communicating you know, with, with someone else. Kids are very resilient, but as you said, you know, you get to, they get to a point where they've learned some things that, that now they have to, my words, unlearn them. They have to take them apart and learn how to really treat people respectfully. Yeah, and we also, there's also another gap that I'm totally guilty of is on the receiving end, the parents don't know how to deal with, so there's this one story um it was a friend of mine and they were at the park she has she had a you know five-year-old girl there's a bunch of five-year-old girls and they were it was like power grove they were dancing the music and having a great time and a girl their same age came over who was missing an arm and these this isn't to bash these five-year-old girls this is just what's happening these this group of very innocent girls all ran to their moms afraid and It was very eye-opening for my friend that, like, she never would have guessed her daughter would have reacted that way. But then she was like, and then I did not know how to talk about it. Like, I didn't know what the right thing, how to teach her in that moment. Like, we aren't equipped, you know? So those opportunities come and go, and then it's like, that's a marked event in in both sides of those kids' lives. So we're just missing this like huge education piece about how we should handle them, you know, and I try really hard. I was I there's a WashU doctor here and she has um, MS. She actually went to med school after her diagnosis, which is really amazing. So she's in a scooter and um, she works at a rehab clinic and a little girl who was in a wheelchair came up to her so she's wearing her white coat she's a doctor and she goes you're a doctor and she's like yeah I'm a doctor she's like but you're in a chair and she's like yeah I'm a doctor and you better believe the first thing that kid said to her parents was like when I grow up I want to be a doctor you know it's just like the change is so slight but it's so huge of how we talk about it and I think the first step is just talking about it and we're gonna mess it up probably a lot before we figure it out and that's okay and that's okay yeah Yeah. the fact that we're talking about it is is huge or putting yourself in the position of the other person and saying if 
if that was me, what would I want them to say or what would I want them to do? How would I want them to respond or act? Yeah. And it, and it goes beyond just even being a child because um, I wrote, Ghost wrote a book for a woman who had been uh, a victim of violence when she was 26. And as a result of that violence, she is paralyzed on one side of her body. And actually, when we were writing this, the book, um, she had her birthday and she said to me, she says, I am now officially, I have now been um, handicapped longer than I was able to. Wow. Okay. And the thing of it is, though, is that she was saying because she was handicapped, she noticed that people would, you know, paralyzed in one arm. The response of people was very much towards victim shaming. It was like, oh, honey, what did you do to yourself? <laughs> and she said she got that a lot, you know, and at first she did not know how to respond to that because it did make her feel like, well, there must have been something I did to make this happen to me. And now this is why I am. And, and the thing is, is that it didn't matter whether she was in a medical environment or not. Even people there, the nurses, the people would always say things to her that made it appear like it was her fault. That's perspective, you know. You know, and so again, you know, and we go back again from a biblical standpoint, you know, if we want to know how far back does this go, you know, you think about the story of the blind man mm -hmm. who Jesus healed. And the first thing the Pharisees wanted to know was, well, who was at fault for him being blind? His parents. That's right. His parents or him. Or him. And so blame goes back a long, long way. And it is taught to us. And here's Robin saying, you know what? No, these things are the things that divide us. How do we, and this is my question to you, how do we begin to educate people so that we don't see those differences anymore? So I don't have the full answer, but I do have the <laughs> first okay. step. So the first step that we are taking with Tiny Superheroes in direct, because of the things I've said, because of my child and watching my friend's kids and hearing these stories, I was like, what can we do? So the first thing we did about a year and a half ago, we started doing missions. So we have missions for our tiny superhero squad to participate in. And every mission, the child will meet a member of our tiny superhero squad. So they just start seeing and learning words that are different, right? So that, so they meet a child in the mission who has epilepsy and then when they're in school three years later and someone in their class has epilepsy, it's like, oh, I already know what that is. Not so bad, you know? So every month they meet a new kid and every month has a mission um, or has a theme around one of our superpowers. So we do courage or strength or hope or love or kindness. We're going to practice a superpower every month and we do it together as a squad. And, you know, usually it involves giving something to someone, writing a card to somebody, um, Sometimes it's just about having fun and then they earn patches for their cape. And through those patches, I've learned two things. One, I've learned that um, these missions are open for all children. And so my hope for typical developing children is that if we are in their homes every month through these missions, they will learn. You know, it will not solve the whole problem, but it is a start. And then what we quick, that's kind of how I started. That was kind of the perspective I took when I started the missions. But what I learned while doing them, we did a survey of, um, of our families and tiny superheroes. And we said, how are you involved in extracurricular activities or clubs? And 80% said no. And then we said, would you like to be involved in 
activities and clubs and 98% said yes. So there's this huge gap in the special needs community. So these kids are overcoming a lot and sometimes they are playing sports and sometimes they are in Girl Scouts, but a lot of times they're not for 800 different reasons. And Tiny Superheroes is the place we want to be their squad. So like, so through these monthly missions, we are really, this is our opportunity to engage with these kids over and over and over again to build self-esteem for the kids who have differences and to teach the ones who don't. You're teaching character education. Right. You're teaching how to get along with people. Now, yeah. for the parents, though, of the, the challenged children who are not putting them into activities, were you able to discern the reason why? Is there a one or two or three reasons why parents are not doing it? Yeah, there's the the most common one in this season as we come into the winter is that these kids are so susceptible to being sick that they cannot be, you know what I mean? They can't be around 20 other kids their age that might have a cold, right? So there there's like one thing that isolates them. Um a lot of these kids are really bullied. It's really horrible. Like they they genuinely do not have the opportunity to safely be in part of something like that. And then the other is just the education piece. Like we haven't adapted all of our sports programs, right, to be open to kids with disabilities. There's um, one wheelchair basketball team in our region and we have it, they're homed right here and they're the St. Louis Junior Rolling Rams. And their games are so inspiring. So a child in a wheelchair in the region has one opportunity to play basketball, you know? So it's like, there are some things that really make it impossible. And there are some that we could make impossible. Would there be other opportunities, though, for like, let's say, uh, teaching chess, and now they become a chess master, you know, they can certainly do that with with Webster University, and the great chess team that we have there, or they become good at at some other kind of function. Yeah, you know, that is not like saying, Oh, well, only challenged children can do this. I mean, but everybody can do it. Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, a lot of times it's just like a four-year-old boy is a four-year-old boy. If he has, <laughs> so right. Riker, who has two prosthetic legs, all he wants to do is karate. And they found a karate studio that welcomed him with wide open arms. But I bet they found nine other karate stu- right. studios that just lacked the ability to know what to do. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, no, not allowed, but it was like fear. And so Riker wants to do karate, you know? And um, I don't know. Yeah, it's really, it's fascinating. But we, we really want to be that place where they are fueled and all you, year. And you're, you're fueling that uh, October 10th. What's going on October 10th? Yeah, so this is fun. Um, I'm a alumni Kirkwood cross-country runner. What? <laughs> <laughs> and the um, Kirkwood women's cross-country team, for this is the third year, they, have, they host one race a year at Kirkwood Park. And after the JV race and the varsity race, we have the tiny superheroes race. Oh, that is going to be cute. And the whole idea, it's evolved over the years. It was very small in the beginning and it was bigger the second year. And we never have any idea what's going to happen. But what does happen is that kids with special needs come and kids without special needs come. And it's maybe for some of them the first time that they get to see like, oh, wow, like he's in a wheelchair and still is running the race. Like that's it, it just it's a opportunity to break the barrier. And 
I did find in raising kids, there are not a lot of opportunities to expose typical developing kids to different kids just in the early years. It just doesn't exist, right? right? And so we're trying to create those opportunities. That's, that's a great thing. That's October the 10th, the third annual Tiny Superheroes Race with the Kirkwood Cross Country. Uh, it is hosted by Tiny Superheroes Wednesday, October 10th from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock, and that was that is at um, the, the park on Geyer Road. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so right. are they all going to re- wear their capes? They, they bring their capes, and it's so cool because it's all the cross-country teams who participate, they all line up like and cheer the race on. Oh, wow, it's, that's great. So it, it's impactful for, it's really neat because you have hundreds of high school kids who witness it which is amazing. So the race, the Tiny Superheroes race is at 5 p.m. So if you don't make it at 4, just make it at 5. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so if people want to know more about Tiny Superheroes, you have a, uh, a Facebook page and you also have a great website. Uh, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so I would, our, our website's tinysuperheroes.com and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tiny Superheroes. And for anyone listening who knows a child who needs a cape, we would love to have them on their our squad. And you can go to tinysuperheroes.com slash nominate to get them on our waiting list and start their journey. You can sponsor a cape also. So maybe you want to provide funds for uh, a cape to be made for a, a child, or you can also uh, buy a cape, correct? Definitely. So you can purchase a personalized cape for anyone that you know. Um, you can sponsor a cape for kids on our waiting list. It's $30 to sponsor a cape. And we're going to be having a really awesome holiday special where we're going to give you awesome Tiny Superheroes gear for sponsoring kids. Tiny Superheroes gear. Yeah. Well, you know, that might be your Christmas gift. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And those capes come in different sizes, too, based upon the age of the child, yeah, correct? Yeah, we have capes for NICU babies, and we have capes for 15-year-olds. Wow. Okay, well... 15-year-old, that's the cape you're going to get. <laughs> Robin, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show today, uh, to hear some of the things from the beginning of this project that has embraced you, that you haven't, you know, that's it, it, very similar. Many times uh, projects or things, they don't take you over, but they they consume you, they bring you, they draw you in. And this one obviously has drawn you in and your family in. Yeah, and I mean, it, from one cape to 15,000 capes, I would think that that's kind of drawn you in. Yeah, that you wear your fingers out, too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thank goodness for sewing machines. And for people that are seamstresses that's that right. know how to do that. Absolutely. And for your husband who got you that first. I mean, imagine when you think and you go back, it goes back to him buying you a sewing machine. He's definitely the silent hero in this story. That's true, because it went back to that one action, him buying her a sewing machine. Did you buy him a saw? <laughs> I would never buy him a saw. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. On, but if you bought it, be sure to buy it on Father's Day, okay? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you've been listening to Robin Rosenberger from Tiny Superheroes, the founder of uh, Tiny Superheroes, a company with a big mission to empower extraordinary kids as they overcome illness or disability. Ellie, what a great interview. Oh, what a, yeah. a, a tremendous yeah. mission they are doing there. And people need to go up on tinysuperheroes.com in order to look at this great website again. And you can find them, you know, no matter what age you are, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, website, whatever turns you on, 
That's where Tiny Superheroes will be. There you can nominate a child for a cape. You can purchase a cape for a child you love. You can sponsor a cape for a child on the waiting list. You can sign up for the monthly missions that she was talking about. That's great. This and don't our- forget, they're wonderful. They have an excellent office over there on Allen Avenue. And don't forget about the race next week. The race, that's right. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton of Intune. You're listening to KWRH LP 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Groves, Missouri.